Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 26th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. 10,000 members of SIPTU are striking today, withdrawing their labour from 38 hospitals, the Central Mental Hospital and St. Ita's in Portram. The support staff and chefs have been looking for pay increases under the Lansdowne Road Agreement since 2015. Disputes over how to deal with their claim delayed a decision being made until last autumn. In August, the HSC and the Department of Health did agree and said pay would increase for the workers by between 1500 and 3000 a year a total cost of 16.2 million euro there is no dispute increases are due but the government is disputing when it should pay what it owes this dispute uh, relates to a particular pay increase arising from a job evaluation process um, all of these staff all 10000 of them will receive a pay increase of 2.75% this year uh, that's in the bag uh, and half of that's already paid, the rest will be paid in September. The vast majority of them will receive an incremental pay increase as well. So this is about, a term, this is about the timing of a third pay increase for this year, and that's the pay increase that arises from the job evaluation process. And the government um, accepts the outcome of the job evaluation process. Uh, what is in dispute is uh, how this is going to be funded, how it will be timed, and therefore how it will be phased in. That's uh, the Taoiseach Leo Radker speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday, uh, but SIP2's Paul Bell told us on this programme yesterday that the job evaluation process has decided that this pay is overdue. The Health Service Executive tell us, as mm. of last year, yeah. The agree that job evaluation process is correct, right? And a, a circular called 1071 will apply. Another government department comes in who just happens to have the monies, and they say that doesn't suit us, so it's not applying. Now, there's no way that anybody involved in negotiations can accept that. Let's talk about this with our political correspondent Sean Defoe. A very good morning to you, Sean, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, hospitals expected to come to a standstill today, which will pose very serious problems for patients and indeed will be a political headache, to say the least, until we get into next week when we're looking at three days of strike action. And if government can't deliver a health service, government is in a corner, is it not? Yeah, well, health has been what's been used to bash the government for a long time, health and housing, and they're two of the biggest and thorniest issues that they've faced. I suppose the government, and you heard it even there in 
relating to Leo Varankers, Clips and uh, Pascal Donahue as well, talking this morning, acknowledge that there is a commitment. I think really the row is over when they are going to pay them. And this comes in the context of not only just the summer economic statement yesterday, but the wider finances. And this is the, the tricky position, if you like, that the government is in. They don't know what is coming down the road in October in terms of the budget and where the money will be. The health budget has kept on overrunning and overrunning. And despite making the commitments that they did make, they haven't made financial provision for it in the budget. So it is going to be a somewhat of a tricky one for them to sort out. And they also can't, as you know, to be fair with the prudence of the uh, economy, they can't keep on letting health spending ramp up and ramp up. It's gotten extra money every single year. So it's, it's a tricky balancing act really for Pascal Donoghue uh, to, to manage. But of course, at the court of public opinion, hospital workers do their best every day. Mm. People are going to be put out people who are uh, waiting a very, very long time for surgeries as well, going to be put out. And even to the point of where a lot of those who are going to hospital today and attending are being advised to bring their own sandwiches. So when it actually starts affecting people on a very real and personal level, then um, then the public backlash is never far behind. Okay, but is it a question of a backlash because people suffer, or is it a question of the government doing the right thing and not welching on a deal that is struck with the trade unions? In 2015, under the Lansdowne Road Agreement, we heard Brendan Howland, who effectively wrote that agreement, speaking in the Dáil last week, saying that the government's position on this was decided honouring that deal. It is, and in, I think if you took it in a vacuum, there wouldn't be a problem here. They, they would pay the money, they would honour the deal and honour that commitment that they made. But of course, uh, when it comes to public pay and, and disagreements like this, they never operate in a vacuum. And the fear really from Pascal Dunahoo and, and the Overacker is that if you offer another pay increase here, despite there being commitments in the past, another queue will start to form. We've already seen it with the guards and with the nurses, and that other people will start to make their claims. They have to manage that versus the real threat that's coming down the road in just a couple of months. And we saw just mm. how stark that was in the summer economic statement um, yesterday of the budget going back into deficit of needing to borrow at €5 billion Euro a year. Uh, and where do you balance that up? So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where that actually lands in, in the court of public opinion. Yeah, well, uh, it's also uh, the opposition uh, pressure that has already been heaped on the government yesterday. Uh, Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil raising it uh, during leaders' questions. It was uh, the subject of leaders' questions last week with both parties also raising it then and uh, Labour. Uh, Brendan Helen, uh, as I mentioned, uh, suggesting that the government was betraying uh, the workers uh, I think uh, Michal Martin was saying that they weren't acting in good faith and uh, the Sinn Féin party were suggesting uh, that uh, he was uh, doing something other than had been promised and uh, going back on his word. Uh, It would seem as though the workers have a a deal and uh, that is agreed to by the government. Uh, If we go into three days of strike action, can the government hold firm? Uh, You would think not. And usually these things don't end up in the days of strike action. It go, goes to the cliff edge, and we've, we've all seen it how many times outside the Labour court when a result is, is reached at 3 or 4 a.m. Mm. in the morning. So you would imagine something similar could possibly happen here. But uh, like the, the government uh, the government line, certainly this morning, and will be throughout the day, is trying to move this on to the Labour court, that already the Workplace Relations Commission uh, talks have failed to, to bring this on in any sort of way, and that they'll go there. The union, though, and Michal Martin made this point, in the Dáil both yesterday and last week, that there are certain restrictions the government wants on those talks going back. So a little bit ingenuous that the line that is going is coming from 
the government here today. Mm. Whether or not it will end up back there, I mean, there, there's also a very fine balance to be played by the union, but particularly when it comes to healthcare. We saw this highlighted most by the, the nursing strike, particularly when uh, people are having procedures cancelled. There's a very fine line between people being on your side and thinking you need to, to get uh, your pay until it affects them, affects their lives and their surgery, mm. people that they know. And then the public opinion can change very, very quickly. So, well, absolutely. Uh, yeah. The difference, of course, with the nurses' dispute is uh, that that was a claim that the nurses were putting forward and uh, they made their claim and were successful in doing so. This is a claim that has been settled and it's a question of if uh, the government will pay it or, or not. Uh, the union was being asked last week uh, if uh, if faced penalties uh, for not fulfilling uh, the terms of uh, the Lansdowne Agreement, how it would react. Uh, but I think perhaps uh, there may be questions from the trade unions about what it would do or what they can do if government welches on uh, the Lansdowne Agreement. Yeah, and it's a two-way street in both of those and every union has been you know, I put that question to them. If you break the Lansdowne Road Agreement or if you look for something extra than what was in the Lansdowne Road Agreement, there are penalties stipulated in there. Now, the government, of course, is very, very reluctant and highly unlikely ever go there uh, for being seen to, to punish people for money that they are perhaps owed. So it's a very, very fine balancing act. Mm. You would like, you would wonder where the mediation can come in, but we've seen this kind of thing before. It'll come down to the, the very 11th hour, possibly talks throughout the weekend to see if some sort of a middle ground can be reached and uh, usually what the government does in this scenario is that they sit back for a little while they let the, the, the strike play out see how it's reacting see how the public are reacting to it and then make some sort of a call Okay, we'll debate this later in uh, the programme uh, but you mentioned uh, the summer statement uh, the template uh, for October's budget uh, this year's economic statement uh, there's going to be about 2.8 billion euro available to government uh, 2.1 is already spent and a question mark then over 700 million. That's right. That's 700 million that may or may not be there depending on what happens with Brexit. So if there is an orderly Brexit and if there is a scenario where the withdrawal agreement somehow gets signed, then there should be about 700 million who are there for extra things, be them uh, tax cuts, extra spending on, on mm. various issues around the country, some sort of pre-election budget bonanza that could be there. But if there's a... a look, probably more likely at the moment a, a no-deal Brexit and if the uh, under Boris Johnson or Jeremy Hunt the UK crashes out all of that money is gone and what Pascal Donoghue is essentially saying is that that will be used to stabilise businesses to set up support schemes to try and keep as many people in their jobs as they can because jobs mm. will undoubtedly be lost by a no-deal Brexit and that that is where he will, who would put the money. The question, obviously, is on tax cuts and huge promises from the government in relation to income tax. They'll probably go out the window this year in a mm. no-deal scenario, though Pascal Donner, who says uh, they could still be done over the next three, four, five years. Um, but the big thing we would have to do is borrow, and the government would have to borrow somewhere between 5 and, and €10 billion Euro a year just to make up the money. The budget will go back into deficit. It would be somewhat similar to what we've seen in the past. So it's a really interesting knife edge that the economy is actually on between, on one hand, a very real risk of overheating if Brexit goes well, and on the other hand, going into mm. a downward spiral and a deficit again. It's a, a forecast from a, a very narrow perspective, isn't it, Sean? In that uh, the government has many tools at, at its disposal uh, to raise money on one hand, uh, and uh, there are questions about the figures that are, it's putting forward anyway. Has it taken into account the social welfare budget? That's one question that Pierce Doherty has uh, been putting to it, uh, and there's unforeseen, such as a, a drop in existing revenue streams or an over run, which is probably expected in health. 
Yeah, that's right. And what we saw last year was that we thought we had around 500, 600 million in fiscal space. And Pascal Donoghue found an extra 600 million down the back of the couch and in the week of budget day. And we saw all of that looked after. Mm. Uh, Pierce Doherty saying yesterday that if you count counting the Christmas bonus, that's 300 million gone out of your 700 million. If there's a health overrun, which uh, at the moment health has been running mostly, except for one month this year, has been running fairly on budget. Uh, then that's another chunk gone out of it. So uh, not a lot of room for an Uber, not a lot of room for a big bonanza. But I think what Pascal Donoghue was trying to get across yesterday is to dispel this image that Fine Gael's built up over the last while through the Children's Hospital and through the broadband ban that they don't know how to manage the, the public finances and become more of a prudent Pascal again rather than mm. the, the dangerous Donoghue he was labelled with only a couple of months ago. Did he manage to do it? Um, I, I think... Yes, but only because of the lack of details that we were given. So mm. the you would have to say it, it's a good idea to have two plans in place in case Brexit goes our way, because we don't really know what's going to happen and no one knows what's going to happen. So that, that's a sensible on one hand. But the other budget he put forward, the one um, for if things go well and the withdrawal agreement gets signed, you would have to say that's pointing more towards an economy that's overheating. It's pointing more towards putting money back in people's pockets for an election rather than dealing with issues like services uh, and transport and some of the other big things and mm. there was not a mention of the, the green economy or climate change mm. at all despite mm. all the talk in the last few weeks so um, he probably did but only because we haven't seen the, the really in-depth figures Would prudent Pascal sound more prudent do you think Sean uh, if whilst uh, on one hand he's being accused of fantasy figures uh, that make no sense and leaving some parts of the equation out of how he's uh, looking at this, uh, how he's calculating this, uh, if he was to say, I'll prepare for every eventuality uh, and, if necessary, I'll introduce a supplementary budget. Yeah, I think it's a strange thing to rule out a supplementary budget. I kind of understand why he wants to do it, because the idea of these having two budgets in a year again goes back to the bad old days where we were seen as a bit of a basket case in Europe and he wants to put forward stability on the international market. But it's surely the most common sense that you on October 8th, he's going to try and predict what's going to happen on October 31st. You know, he's not Mystic Meg. He can't mm. actually know what is going to happen. So it was, it's the merest common sense that once it does unfold, whatever way it unfolds, be it good, bad or in between, that you would revise the figures. And I think we probably will see that at some point, but he can't say it for risk of perhaps moving the market and some of the other lenders, but it would be the merest common sense to do it. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed for joining us as always. Our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Michael Reed on LMFM. He announced the budget. Uh, he'll be looking at how much uh, the government has spent this year and if it's in line with its targets or if it has overspent, let's say, 500 million euro on uh, the health service and how that may be clawed back or if it can be clawed back before we get to the end of the year. And as a, a result of uh, the expectation that the health service will overrun uh, by 500 million euro. It's uh, expected to freeze or cut home help hours uh, towards uh, the end of uh, this year. Sinn Féin motion asked that this would be reversed uh, last night and we'll talk about this now with Sean Moynihan who's uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Alone and a very good morning to you Sean and uh, thanks for joining us. Sinn Féin were making uh, the point that the government would be cutting its nose off uh, despite its face because it's far cheaper to provide home help than it is uh, to provide nursing home care or hospital care for people. Yeah, and I think, um, rather than get deep into the politics, the reality of it is, is I think most parties in government and out of government accept that 
aging and living at home, whether people are older or people with disabilities or children with challenges, is where everybody wants to be. And so ultimately is, is the under slauncher care, which everybody's agreed again, were to have a statutory rights scheme by 2021, which would increase the spending in this area. So if we cut spending here or if we don't increase the spending here, all we do is add more pressure on the hospitals, delayed discharges, trolley crises mm. and everything that we're all so frustrated hearing all about. OK, let's uh, look at it a, a little bit closer because 500 million, half a billion euro is a lot of money if we're going to overrun by that. Uh, but how is it spent? 165 euro is the average spend on someone who's receiving home help, apparently. If uh, they were in a nursing home, the average spend would be 1,048 rather than that €165. Euro. And if they were in hospital, it would be nearly €6,992. There's a considerable difference. Uh, it seems as though there's little or no argument. Absolutely. I mean, yesterday or the day before, there was uh, 18 people and we picked one hospital, one general hospital in Dublin, I think it was Bomblet, and basically is is 12 people were waiting for 200 hours a week, around 10, 12 hours a week, right? 12 hours a week mm. to go home. These are people who have been right? discharged. They shouldn't be these in hospital, are, I take These it. are ready to go home. Clinically need, discharged. We, mm. Yes. Mm. We need home help and care services to help get them home, which are the much... Much cheaper, much more sensible options on where mm. people want to be. In fairness, even, you know, over 50s, would you believe, which is a bit scary, but around 50% of over 50s have a chronic disease, one of, you know, cancer or hypertension or, or that. So lots of people need help and support as they get older. Half of and the people over 50? Yeah, have a chronic disease. I know, it's a bit scary for all of us. But I think we sometimes... You're not very popular around here this morning, No, I know, I know. I'm going to tell you, I'm over 50, so, you know, I'm in the the gang, you know. So so what I say to you is, is we have to realise that health costs money and it's really important. And we have to, every year we get this argument about supplementary budgets, Mm. right? So there is a question... Are we funding, not funding the health services fully already? Or are we not funding places in the right place? For us, people, for 30 years, people have been talking about primary health care. We hear it all the time. We've been talking about a- ageing and living in the community. And under slanch care, under what everybody knows is home care is absolutely critical and strategic to making that happen. So ultimately is is at a time of full employment, if we don't in actually invest in this, forget about cuts, it's underfunded as it is and capped. If we don't invest in this now, when will we invest in it? Hmm. Uh, what did you say, 14 patients in Beaumont, was it? It was 18 patients. Oh, I, was eight. talking to, uh, mm-hmm. I was talking to Chief Social Worker the other day in Beaumont, and what they were saying is, is there was around 18 patients waiting for around 200 hours worth of home care to go home. Right. Now, okay. the point about it is, is this is where, 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 where we're at. But I'm sure in all the debates, everybody will say and guarantee we're not cutting. But we're adjusting the service delivery. We can only get it, you can only get home care if you're already in an acute hospital. You can't get it even though you might need it at home. Some packages are not being redistributed. Okay, Some areas well, are not keeping waiting. This. You have all these complications. Mm. But I, what I feel sorry for is the public is, is when these debates get on, 
people start throwing stats and do you know what I mean? Oh, well, well let's let's throw some stats because hard, let's let's throw some stats, to, Sean. Can we because work out. sorry, Sean? Can we can we throw some stats because yeah. the, the the sums are simple. Uh, Eighteen patients at six thousand a week in hospital. That's one hundred eight thousand, uh, yeah. and uh, that one hundred eight thousand would compare to about three thousand to provide yeah. home help for them. Yes, they're interesting stats, aren't they? That's that. That's the, that's the, well. There you go. That, that's probably <laughs> the simplest stat to understand. Yeah. All right. And, and the problem here is, is home care doesn't save money. Mm. People might think what it will do is ease the pressure. So imagine if somebody is discharged, mm. somebody else can come in. Yes. There's no empty mm. bed because our beds run at 95% capacity. Yeah. There's no empty bed. So there is no saving. But what there is is that the next person gets a much better quality of service. Well, that's it. And I suppose you could argue that it'll cost the health service 3000 more overall because you have to add it on to that 108000 that would be spent on somebody else. Uh, but uh, then, uh, again, there's the longer-term vision that if people are cared for in hospital sooner rather than later, well, then uh, they'll recover quicker. Yeah. Nationally, last week, 600 people, not all older mm. across all the ages, but the majority older, we're waiting for discharge, right? Well, mm. we're discharged waiting to go home, right? Yeah. We had 600 delayed discharges last week mm. in the middle of the summer. So if we spend those small 3,000s, we get those 6,000s, mm. and then the people who are on trolleys or people who are stressed or where we don't have capacity, we can create it. Okay, Sean, we we'll leave it there. Thanks very much indeed uh, for really joining us uh, this morning. Uh, that uh, Sinn Féin motion will be voted on in the Dáil tomorrow. Now, Wednesday morning, so uh, the local newspapers are available to us and available to you in your news agents. Marie Kearns is in studio with me, and uh, you have uh, the front pages in front of you, as I you sure usually do. do on a Wednesday, Marie. Uh, we're going to start to end on Dock this week. What are the Argus reporting on? To yes, it's with? a good news story this week on the front page of the Argus, the success of the inaugural Seek Festival in Dundalk is what makes the front page with the organisers already planning to host an even bigger event last year following the week-long festival which went down so well. Inside on page 8 there's a lovely story on Sergeant Vincent O'Connell who's retiring after 32 years with the Loud Guard Division so we wish him well Michael mm, okay, on his retirement. Yeah, yeah, pipe and slippers <laughs> thanks very much Sergeant says alright <laughs> uh, we'll stay in Dundalk and uh, we'll go to the Democrat that's reporting on a, a local tragedy on it it's front page but inside uh, the focus is on robberies. That's right an examina- in an examination of the crime stats uh, reporter Donard McCabe um, writes that there's been a 200% increase in robbery offences in Louth so far this year and also that the reported incidence of mur- murder t- threats has increased Michael by 64% also well worth a read I felt is a story on page 4 which reveals the disparity in household incomes across Louth so that's mm. interesting reading as well Very good alright uh, we often talk about young people and uh, their attitude uh, towards uh, climate change and the very good ideas uh, that they have Uh, but uh, there's uh, some young people who feature on uh, the front page of uh, the Dundalk Leader who are acting in a a similar uh, way in terms of uh, their environment. That's right it's all about the optimism for the future regarding the younger generation because of the actions Mm. of a couple of students from St Louis who are doing their bit by organising two separate cleanups in their communities 16 year old Emma Lynch and 15 year old Lauren Boyle have got 
stuck in in their attempts to combat pollution. Emma and her younger sister Sophie can regularly be seen picking up litter around the Mill Road area in Dundalk while Lauren is busy recruiting helpers for a massive ocean cleanup on Annie Gasson Beach which takes place on July 16th, Michael. Okay. So well done to them. All right, indeed. Uh, and uh, we go to Drogheda where violence has uh, dominated the hearts and minds of many people. It makes for uh, the front page of uh, the Drogheda Independent. I think the paper uh, probably published too late to report on what was a, a very near tragedy in the town last night uh, with some people obviously in a house that was petrol bombed and treated for smoke inhalation but it's that gangland feud it is. That this story was the... obviously written mm-hmm. written following uh, that gun attack in Termin Abbey and the subsequent petrol bombs on that night Michael and it's an interesting development in that Drogheda's newly elected Mayor Paul Bell is making the headlines uh, because he's offered to meet the leaders of the gangs involved in this ongoing feud in the town in a bid to secure a ceasefire before someone is killed Councillor Bell told the paper we have to end this or at least create a platform for ceasefire. All of this is having a huge impact on our town and people are afraid that an innocent party in all of this will be killed. The Time has come to talk. He says he's prepared to meet the leadership of the groups involved or those nominated by them in a non judgmental frame of mind. Okay, well, good luck to him with uh, that uh, because uh, I think uh, the Gardaí have uh, tried to do something similar. The Chief Superintendent uh, was saying that mediation was available, offered to the gangs, uh, but I don't think they had much interest. Perhaps that will change, let's hope so. Uh, We go to Meath. The Meath Chronicle is uh, reporting on the Book of Kells for some reason. right, and I think this story, uh, their lead story uh, this week will probably ruffle a few feathers in Kells, Michael, because um, uh, Anne Casey is saying that research uh, is suggesting that the Book of Kells could actually have been written by a group of nuns in Kildare and she says that Kells has always laid claim to the 8th century work of art but new evidence is about to be presented at an academic conference this weekend which casts doubt on that theory so if you want to find out more pick up the Chronicle and have a good read Alright <laughs> and all of the local papers the Chronicle and uh, the other papers are available to you this morning as is usually the case on a Wednesday most of them come out on a Tuesday evening now I think don't they anyway? Yeah, yes yeah, between yeah, Tuesday yeah, and Wednesday yeah. Yeah. Alright yeah, so they're all available and that's that's uh, just a flavour of what they're reporting on. Some very interesting stories, as always, and maybe you want to make comment on them. You can give Marie or Maggie a call now because you'll be back shortly with some indeed. of those comments. Uh, or for that matter, if uh, you've been hearing something else uh, this morning that you'd like to make comment on, uh, Maggie and Marie would love to hear from you. Or if there's an issue that you'd like to raise with us, our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Uh, as uh, you know, uh, the government uh, announced its uh, summer economic uh, statement uh, yesterday and enters into its national em- economic dialogue uh, today with uh, many of uh, the social partners and uh, various uh, bodies uh, who have uh, obviously uh, much uh, to say to government. Social Justice Ireland is one of such group and Eamon Murphy, economic and social analyst with Social Justice Ireland, joins us now. Good morning to Eamon and uh, thanks uh, for your time with us on the programme. Uh, the Minister was saying yesterday that uh, there should be a package available to him in October of about £2.8 billion, billion of that has already been set aside which may leave him with 700 million uh, on the assumption that there isn't a hard Brexit. Uh, How much weight do you give to these figures though? 
not a whole lot, to be honest with you, Michael. Mm. Uh, the important thing to remember um, when the government is bringing out numbers like this to say how much is available is what, that they're, what they're talking about is the money that will be available if we do nothing. If they bring in no other additional revenue-raising measures, that's the money that's going to be there, which, of course, is it's a, it's a convenient framing of the debate mm. from a government point of view. And they've no, the the no intention in the middle of June uh, of telling us what they might have up their sleeve in October, uh, whether they're going to be looking at uh, an election or a Brexit or what uh, may... Uh, be a challenge to them at that stage. Uh, But what they are doing now is ticking a a box that needs to be ticked ticked, uh, for the European Commission. Is that right? Um, It's something to do with that, yes. Uh, I suppose part of it is political expediency. They don't want to show their hand too early. And uh, particularly this year, given the possibility of, or the likelihood that Brexit will happen before the end of the year, the possibility that will happen on a no-deal basis means that they probably don't want to make too many promises at an early stage and leave things closer to the actual date of the budget before confirming it. But like, I think the important thing to remember um, when you're listening to figures like 600, 700 million being touted as what's available is that government actually has loads of options with which they could raise additional revenue in order to um, invest in public services. I suppose it, or it goes both ways. Like, I mean, Pierce Doherty has been saying that they didn't count a, a 300 million euro uh, need to, to pay Christmas bonuses. Uh, there's uh, the potential of running over budget by 500 million in the health service, but they could do other things like uh, increase uh, the tax take uh, by having some of these huge multinationals pay more tax and that sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. If you were to bring in, say, a minimum effective corporation tax rate of like even 6%, which is less than half of what the actual headline is supposed to be, Good. you could raise upwards of a billion euros in uh, in 2020. So it's to say that uh, they're constrained, that they only have 600 million or so to divvy up between the various interest groups is just a falsehood. It's, a, it's really important to remember from a, a pers- perspective of the voter mm. that the government always has options in which it can, um, it can raise additional funding. Uh, even, for example, they'll, they'll always kind of find that the term is, you know, money down the back of the couch just before the budget starts, they'll decide that, okay, we won't index the tax system, for example, and hey, presto, 600 million becomes available, and the government look like they're the great fellas altogether being very generous to us. But, um, you know, they, they know well in advance that money is available, and they also know that the options are there for them as well. For example, um, as apart from the, the corporation tax uh, issue we just spoke, they've got loads of options as regards to the sustainability and environmental taxes as well. Um, with which they can not only raise additional revenue for investment in public services, but they can also incentivize better behavior as well by, uh, by, by making the cost of environmentally damaging behaviors actually reflect the true cost of what's happening with them. Mm, well, uh, we expect a, an increase uh, in fossil fuels, uh, in taxation on fossil, fossil fuels and carbon taxes, uh, the likes of diesel or, or coal or whatever in particular uh, will increase because of increased taxation uh, next year. Uh, and I, I suppose uh, to what degree is another day's work? Yeah, and they're probably aware that this is uh, quite an unpopular policy for certain sectors of society, particularly with people who don't live close to uh, urban settings so that they have to use a car more, for example, to get to and from work. Um, The unfortunate thing about it is that it's a, it's a balance of different priorities and government has to acknowledge that Ireland is not doing its best when it comes to climate change and that a carbon tax, even if it's only a small increase, like €10 per tonne, like what was being proposed, is a very important part of an overall policy package to help us get back on track for meeting our climate target goals by by 2030. Uh, We would be of the opinion that you can't bring in uh, a carbon tax like this without setting out a just and efficient way 
of making sure that the, the people who lose out the most um, are not those uh, at the bottom of the income distribution and that rural dwellers are not um, overtly affected. Uh, the best way to do that, we think, would be by giving some of that money back in the form of a dividend, so a mm. check in the post to every household in the country, or there's other possibilities like small increases to the fuel allowance to make sure that, for example, older people aren't... Um, don't find themselves in additional trouble of heating their home in the winter. Well, that, uh, the government needs. Mm-hmm. That's what you think, Eamon. But uh, I suppose the fear is uh, that the money will be collected and will be used to pay for broadband or the National Children's Hospital or something like that. Uh, and none of these things will be done and nothing will be done, let's say, to retrofit houses. Yeah, and we, I suppose the, the National Broadband Plan is very important. The Children's Hospital is very important. But for this particular thing, we really are very strong on this, that the government needs to ring-fence that money in order to deal with the issues that's being created by bringing in that tax. The whole purpose of a carbon tax, at the end of the day, should be to incentivise better behaviour, to incentivise um, more environmentally friendly uh, modes of behaviour from, from everybody, whether that be uh, less car usage or mm-hmm. more efficient um uh, more energy efficient homes, for example, by encouraging people, giving them grants to uh, to retrofit their houses. Um, this this can't this money can't just go into the general government pot for them to spend um, as they as they decide. This needs to be ring fenced in order to make sure that uh, the people who are likely to unfairly lose out the most don't um, don't end up uh, in in additional fuel poverty, for example. Mm-hmm. And also to make sure that those people who are making an effort to cut down on their carbon usage uh, end up benefiting from it. They'll they'll be less affected by the price hike because um, they'll be they'll be effectively using less fossil based fuels. And uh, I suppose government will, on occasion, ring fence money, uh, and uh, it has done on many occasions. It's uh, committed uh, to pay increases. Uh, as readers of the Irish Examiner will be aware, this morning it reports on increases uh, that are to be paid to some of uh, the highest judiciary in the country with uh, the Chief Justice uh, his pay increase to €256,584 a year. The President of the High Court will have his pay increase to €238,257 a year. Huge money, uh, undoubtedly deserved, uh, but uh, I suppose some people will have questions uh, given uh, the commitment to to pay €16.2 million to support workers and chefs and hospitals hospitals that appears to be well shown by the government. Yeah, um, very often it seems like the uh, the people who are, now there's a, it's only a very small number of people admittedly, but very often it's the people who are on the highest wages within the public sector who get looked after the best and um, that's why as part of our uh, budget submission for Budget 2020 we proposed uh, bringing in uh, a living wage across the board within the public sector and civil service to make sure that, first of all, the government is leading by example in that area and to make sure that those thousands of workers who are engaged in sort of at the lower level jobs, like, mm. for example, um, uh, cleaners or other um, admin staff or uh, waters and hospitals, those uh, people in, in roles of that nature are able to earn sufficient amount of money to make... Uh, meet a decent standard a li- living, a, a, li- a living wage that's what about 11.70 an hour is it uh, at the moment it is uh, 11.90 an hour 11.90 um, an hour yeah. the rate, it's the rate yeah. that a single person has to earn working 39 hours a week in order to afford a, a minimally decent standard of living in Ireland based on uh, you know what, what the mm. consensus is amongst a number of interest groups as to how much money you need to spend in order to achieve the very basics like uh, and rent I, I take it it follows that so, some public servants are earning less than 11.90 are they 
Oh, uh, not not a huge proportion of the overall total, but given that the uh, the public service uh, payroll is quite large, it, it amounts to thousands and possibly even a couple of tens of thousands of, of workers who are earning below that, above the minimum wage, but below the living wages, which is there's actually a twenty percent gap between the minimum wage and what it actually costs to to achieve a, a decent standard of living in Ireland, and. Um, you know, we, we'd be of the opinion that government needs to lead on that to set an example to uh, other employers. I mean, if the likes of low-cost firms like Aldi and Lidl, uh, who do trumpet this, uh, the fact that they pay a living wage to all their employees, they can afford to do it, then surely uh, the public sector and, and, and larger firms as well can, can afford to do so. Uh, do you think uh, the Minister was right to rule out ha- having a, a supplementary budget uh, because there's a, a lot of unknowns going into next year? I think the minister will have um, a few things in reserve if uh, the the unthinkable happens and we get a no-deal Brexit. I think that uh, he'll probably have something akin to a second budget altogether that he might uh, rush through um, a few mo- a few weeks after- afterwards in the event of a no-deal budget. Um, I guess that what we'd be saying is that uh, government in this case needs to learn from the mistakes of the past. We had a massive recession uh, slightly more than a decade ago and government's response was to... Uh, was to drastically cut spending in a sort of counter-cyclical way, which only exacerbated the recession that followed, and to to make cuts in such a way that it was the most vulnerable in society that were worst affected. And that's not something that we're just saying. That's something that the the government's own economic think tank, the ESRI, would say that every budget from 2010 onwards uh, up to 2016 was regressive, that the lower the people at the bottom of society were affected worst by uh, by the cuts than the people at the top, okay. and the government needs to learn from that mistake. And in the event of a uh, a recession caused by a no deal Brexit or by some outside mm-hmm. shock from uh, the global economy, government needs to protect the most vulnerable first of all. Okay, we have to leave it there, Eamon. Thank you indeed for joining thank us this morning, Eamon Murphy, so economic and social analyst for Social Justice Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns is back with us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. What have people been saying to you, Marie? A couple of comments already in relation to this summer economic statement. Trevor from Dundalk says... Uh, you talk about the lack of information during your discussion with your political report to Michael. Does that not speak for itself if it doesn't have enough information? And um, Trevor feels that all this is futile anyway, because if Brexit happens, the economy is going to take a massive hit, especially if there is no deal. So very hard to be planning says Trevor. Okay, well, perhaps so. Uh, the Minister would argue that, obviously, and uh, is forecasting for both scenarios uh, and, indeed, uh, how things would change uh, with the loss of 50,000 uh, jobs uh, in mm. the short term, 85,000 jobs overall, uh, that uh, the uh, GDP rate uh, would uh, slow to a flat rate and uh, that the government would be in a position of having to borrow up to €5 billion. Euros. So uh, I suppose uh, the Minister is certainly feels uh, that he can plan in respect of uh, these things but uh, in terms of the budget ahead and Mm. uh, what is and what is not available to the Minister I think that uh, there are a lot of questions uh, that won't be answered until October. Tom says that this uh, financial plan so to speak has brought Brexit back onto the spotlight because he feels it has kind of fallen by the wayside over the last while since the 
British elections mm. and he feels that with all the mayhem that is going on in the UK, you'd have to fear a worst case scenario and there could be a no deal. Yet there's very little talk about it when it was all that was being talked about months ago. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just uh, that it's at uh, this standstill. Yes. It's in limbo. Uh, and I think uh, when we get to the 22nd of July or thereabouts and we've uh, the next Prime Minister in place, uh, well, then uh, things will certainly uh, intensify a- again. And as uh, we get closer to October, obviously, which is uh, the next deadline, uh, they'll intensify even further. But it's not gone away and uh, it is no less of a worry as we've been hearing yesterday. Sean says, what are we going to have? What we are going to have now, Michael, is all this scaremongering about what will or will not be cut in the budget. It drives me absolutely mad every year. Can we not just wait and just get the budget and then react to it Mm. instead of all the flight kind that goes... All the kite flying (laughs) that goes on. Mm -hmm. And he feels that uh, the Minister should probably wait until after the Brexit deadline to actually decide the budget. Mm. Which is the 31st, isn't it, of October? Uh, well, yeah, see, that's the current deadline and that's mm. a movable feast as we've seen yes. now on a number of occasions. Yeah, That mm. is so mm. true. Mm. Um, on to, to First, before I go to the strike today, mm. we had a call in just in relation to um, the feud and I, when I read out that mm. the front page story in relation to the Mayor of Drogheda offering mm. to broker a deal and we had a call from a listener from Kells actually who says that he's been listening in to all the discussions and the coverage of this feud and he says here and talk about mediation I feel is totally daft at the moment what's need is now, needed now is total annihilation a zero tolerance approach this needs to be turned on its head I feel that uh, the dangers of drugs needs to be addressed in every town. If young people are buying drugs, they are buying human misery and devastation for themselves and their families. And this is what we need to be looking at, as well as how we approach getting rid of these gangs and taking, you know, putting an end to this once and for all. Okay, we'll come back to what people are saying about uh, the hospital strike today in a moment, but we'll stay with the feud. Uh, Labour Party councillor P.O. Smith is on the line after the latest petrol palm attack in the town. It sounds as though the people who lived in this house in Rathmullen Park uh, were lucky. Uh, They had to be treated for smoke inhalation, and uh, I gather that speaks for itself in that they were caught up in the flames. Yeah, good morning, Michael. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they were extremely lucky. And uh, look, we've we've talked about this over a number of occasions before in the past. And uh, I think at this stage of the game, we're probably uh, playing a luck out because at some stage, somebody is really going to get seriously hurt or killed in this in this regard. And uh, not only individuals who are caught up in the uh, the feud. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Getting attacked, but also people who are totally innocent uh, are getting attacked and then you've got people living next door to, to people who are either directly or loosely involved in the feud and there's a massive fear around uh, certain areas of the town in that regard and uh, you've got then calls on Low County Council to transfer people out of social housing because they're scared to be living in certain areas and uh, it really is getting very depressing and uh, you know it's having a very bad impact on certain areas and certain families and certain people around around this town. I don't know about you, but at half one this morning, I was long in my bed. Uh, do you know anything about the people who were in the house that was targeted? Uh, have you heard any detail of what happened? Were the residents in bed or were they up at the time or anything like that? No, no just just all I heard was mm. that uh, the, the, the house was, was closed down for the night. People had obviously gone to bed and uh, it was a similar attack to what happened two weeks ago when uh, a family of two uh, were attacked. And just by pure luck, two weeks ago, yeah. uh, the, the dog alerted them to, to what was happening. And one, one the child had uh, special needs and they were extremely lucky to get out of that house alive. I think probably a similar situation happened yeah, last week. Because when you inhale smoke, quite often it uh, puts you unconscious. Uh, and uh, that's quite often the cause of death, smoke inhalation. Uh, and if you're asleep in bed, uh, when there's smoke in the house like that, it can quite often result in death. Uh, now, maybe they heard... Uh, the petrol bomb come through the window or whatever it was but uh, you'd have to uh, assume uh, that this was an attempt to kill somebody or whoever did it was pretty stupid not to think that they could have killed somebody well personally I think these are our attempts to kill I have to be straight with you because I mean like you know take the the most recent ones that are after happening uh, even, uh, we talked last week about one in Mel we talked one mm. about the one last week in, in, in another state in the town mm-hmm. and the accelerant that's used we're talking about the the, the the, the level of violence and force that's used in relation to these attacks mm. can only be one thing. I mean, you're, you're not just doing it to damage your house. And the, the times in which people carry out these attacks, uh, half one in the morning, half three in the morning, uh, I mean, like, they are designed to kill or injure. That's my view. And there's no ambiguity here in relation to that. This is not something that people are going out just to damage your house and give it a warning. I believe that they're designed to kill. 
I think it's gone to another phase now. And I think that certainly we talked about criminal justice mm. legislation there last week mm. and Senator Nash and, and uh, Deputy Munster were talking about it again there the other day. Mm. I mean, at some stage, uh, arrests are going to have to be made under that legislation or else there are definitely going to be people killed in this town. Yeah, and we're lucky that it wasn't a, a dead child uh, without meaning to sensationalise it last week, uh, but that is unfortunately the stark reality of uh, the situation. Uh, this uh, just uh, the latest in an ongoing, long-running story. Pio, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank La- you. Labour Party Councillor Pio Smith. Now let's go back uh, to the phones. Uh, you were saying you had uh, a number of calls That's about right. the hospital strike. Uh, Ronya mm. says it infuriates her that some kind of resolution could not be reached in relation to the strike today. Are there going to be more strikes and how is this going to be resolved? Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of next week, uh, the same staff will be on strike. Thomas says that he worked for the HSE for over 30 years. He doesn't understand what more the support staff want. Uh, he feels that they, when they work at the weekends and on holidays, they get well paid for the work that they do. OK, well, this is not a uh, pay claim, as Paul Bell said to us this is a claim that has been resolved and it's been agreed they're due the money we heard the Taoiseach earlier on saying they're due the money Mm. it's a question of when it'll be paid Um, Mairead says the workers striking today took cuts during the bust and now the government is not honouring its commitment to them why should they continue to suffer while the TDs can give themselves big bonuses and think nothing of it well the government says it is honouring its commitment and uh, that all staff will have all of their pay increased by the end of next year just finally, Michael, on property tax, John says that there's talk of some councillors and led county council uh, saying that they may agree to an increase in property tax and I really resent this. Why should we pay extra? I'm from Drogheda and I think services locally have disimproved rather than improved since the property tax was introduced and this is what our money was supposed to be going for. OK, thanks for that and uh, we'll leave it on that note and uh, thanks to everybody who has been in touch. Thanks Marie for that matter. If you'd like to add to what's been said, our telephone number is 1850-715-958 Michael Reed on LMFM now let's uh, talk uh, about uh, today's uh, strike uh, by uh, workers in uh, 38 hospitals uh, the Central Mental Hospital in St. Eta's in Portran the SIP2 members say they're tired waiting for a pay increase to be paid to them. We're joined uh, by Senator Colin Burke, who's Fine Gael's spokesperson on health in Shannon Aaron, and Mary Butler, who's Fianna Falls Junior Health spokesperson. A very good morning to both of you, and thanks uh, for joining us here on the right. programme this morning. Mary yeah. Butler, um, nobody uh, disagrees. This is a pay increase that has been agreed. The government says it's a question of timing and that the trade union has misinterpreted the deal. But the Fianna Fáil view, just to be clear to begin this, is that this money should have been paid to these workers before now. Is that right? That's right. Um, Michael, there seems to be a disconnect between the two arms of government because on the one hand you have the HSE saying it has agreed to pay this £16 million to these um, health workers um, last October. But on the other side we have a deeper now who seem to be entrenched, the Department of Public um, Expenditure seem to be entrenched and are saying now that they're not going to pay it. And like when you have, um, when, when you have a situation where we have an agreement with SIP2 for £16.2 million, um, to look after these fantastic workers 
and then the government offer a measly one million and say they will pay it over the next three years. And that's certainly not good enough. And as a result, today, we have 10,000 health workers out on strike. And, I, you know, everybody knows the knock-on effects it has then for all the patients in hospital, for all the outpatient appointments that were Well, that, one, that 1.2 million, uh, I think, would be the initial phase. The Taoiseach said yesterday that the increases would be honoured in full by the end of next year, I think. Yes, but you see, you have to go back. You have to go back to, the, to the, re, the reality of the situation. This was a public service stability agreement that the government agreed to carry out job evaluations in 2015. The government readily entered into this. They, it wasn't foisted upon them by opposition. They readily agreed, and they readily agreed to pay these these workers. But however, and I, and where where I where I see this going is, as we all know, there's going to be a huge overrun in the cost of the National Children's Hospital to the tune of one billion, which is a thousand million. We're talking about sixteen million here to prevent ten thousand health workers being on strike today and then we could have a possibility of three days more strike next week. Now, what is the cost of that to the state? Because I think it is more fiscally responsible to pay this $16.2 million to these workers. These workers are the cogs in the wheel of the health service. We all know that. From maternity care assistants to lab aides to surgical instrument technicians, chefs, porters, the list is absolutely endless. And these are okay. low-paid workers who work extremely Colin, hard in this country. Yep. Senator Burke, uh, the, the workers well, and their trade unions say that they cannot trust the government. The government well, is not well, all, the government is not trustworthy. Uh, it, it's very hard to see this dispute in any light other than to think that the government has been dishonourable, that it okay. has acted in bad first faith. Of, first of all, can I just say in relation to the healthcare sector, we've taken on an extra 13,000 people in four years. So there are an extra 13 whole-time equivalents, 13,000 whole-time equivalents working down the HSE compared to four years ago. So that's a huge additional cost on the budget. We're uh, huge demands from the healthcare sector in relation to increasing the level of care that's required because we have an increasing population and we also have an increasing elderly population. And the question then, it's about keeping within budget. The government have made it quite clear that as and from November of this year, they will start implementing the terms of the agreement and, uh, you know, that's basically what they're saying. So it's not a situation that they're refusing um, to implement it. It's a case of the timing. The second issue in relation to the current strike, there are procedures. Not all of them have been fully exhausted mm. by the union. The government have made it quite clear that they're prepared to go back in to the um, to the Labour Court um, to, to deal with this issue. Why? They have not been exhausted. Why, why would the union go into the Labour Court? Because, because there are a number of issues where there is a disagreement on in relation to the interpretation of the agreement as I understand it. Yes. And it's a case, it's a case of going through the, all of the procedures in relation to any dispute, any industrial well, relations well, dispute. This will have to go back into sitting down around the table and trying to work out a solution as regards implementation. If we we don't want to go back. The appropriate place for that is the Workplace Relations Commission, is it not? And the government yeah. is refusing uh, to, no, to... No, no, no. We, we, we were at Work Relations Commission and there wasn't an agreement at that. If there, is, there, there are other procedures available, including Work Relations Commission plus the whole issue in relation to going through the Labour Court issue. They have not been exhausted. The other thing is... Well, the, go- the, the government ha- has refused to recognise the agreement last August that was it reached itself with no, the trade no, union SIP2 under the WRC and the Circular 1071. No, 
it agreed to the evaluation and the, the subsequent implementation of the evaluation over a period Which of time. is a circular 1071. Yeah, but which, we, which was agreed to implement over a period of time. And remember, you can go back to 2000 to 2008. Public sector pay went from 8.2 billion... Well, let's go back to August billion. and, and but, but what, the WR, what the but, WRC... But, but let's, go, let's be quite clear on this issue. No, let's we be really clear. Let's, say, let's, let's look at what the WRC... Let's be quite clear on this issue. Hmm. If we now start giving in in relation to demands right across the board in relation to a whole range No, 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 no. Honour your agreement. Honour your no, agreement. It's not, are, it's not giving it. It's Michael, not giving it. No, no, well, let me put Michael, a point to you. We are, we are honouring the agreement. Well, you agreed to the application of a, a 1071 circular, which yes. applies to the pay on promotion for individuals. The yes. WRC says that the application of 1071 re- would result in a common increment date from the date of application. And now, we're saying we will implement it over a period period of time. And remember, we have the, in relation to the group who are earning between 25 and 30,000 in the HSE, they have now, their pay has been restored and they're now 4% above the 2009 pay that we're receiving, where other groups have still not received the restoration of pay. Like, for instance, the uh, group up to 50 Well, the WRC expected the that they would have got their next increment a month but after the staff had been rebanded, which would... With every agreement... You which would have been September last year. For every agreement, you have to work through an agreement as regards the implementation. We're saying the implementation will be starting from November of this year. We're saying we want to keep within budget. If we start going outside budget in relation to all of these issues, mm. then we will have a situation where we'll go back to... Let me go back to Mary Butler, because it, it seems as though the government agreed to give these pay increases uh, last September, and here we are in June. The agreement was reached in August, but the pay should have uh, been paid in September a month month after it was agreed. Uh, That's correct, Michael. And I, I just want to go back to uh, a point that the Senator made. He said this is, a, this is about giving in. This is not about giving in. This is about your listeners today who know that our, Lourdes, um, our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Navin, in Drogheda is closed. Mm. Um, our Lady's Hospital in Navin is closed. Mm. Louth County Hospital. Mm. They're all, they're all, I won't say they're closed. Also they're Mary, a, lot of our li- a lot of our listeners Mary, have appointments Mary, this morning Mary, that have been cancelled in the Dublin hospitals Mary, as well. Absolutely. Colm, I'll come back to you in a moment. I think it would be only fair to let her speak, yeah? It's not good for the listeners to speak over each other. I think we have to go back to the fundamental point. This was an ev- a job evaluation carried out in 2015. It has been agreed. It had been resolved. The HSE said last September, October, they would pay the 16.2 million. But what we have is we have an internal tug of war between the HSE department and the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform with Minister Pascal Donoghue, who's trying to kick it out for the next two to three years. And that is not fair. Well, we are talking about 16.2 million. Mm. What I would love to see a cost-based analysis. It should have been carried out. The re-evaluation program. Just to say, the re-evaluation program, as I understood it, uh, should have been introduced in 2015 under the Lansdowne Road Agreement, but was thwarted because of a a number of reasons and was only agreed that these staff would be rebanded in uh, uh, August of last year, with pay due then within the next couple of months. Absolutely, yes. And and the Workplace Relations Commission, that process is not existing. 
exhausted yet. There's no need to go to the Labour Court yet. There, we're, we're only at phase two of the Workplace Relations Commission and there is no reason. But what I would be appealing to all sides was to, tr- to try and avert the three-day strike next week is to get around the table and see can they hammer out it. OK, let Colin Burr come back there because uh, as I, Mary I Butler said, there's a lot of hospitals uh, that are really uh, not I, operating uh, okay. today uh, and a lot of people are suffering and it'll be very bad next week if it's yeah. bad this week. So why, why can the government not provide a health service on the basis that it won't honour an agreement it okay. reads with the trade can union? I, can I go back? First of all, we have restored pay to, pre, uh, to above 2009 levels in relation to this group of people. So we're 4% above the pay scale of 2009, where other groups haven't. In relation to any increases in salaries and, and wages across the board, we have to work within budgets and work to try and resolve those issues. We're saying the government is quite prepared to go back mm-hmm. into the Work Relations Commission plus the Labour Court if necessary. And it's fine for Mary to say we must keep paying out money. That's exactly no, what that's not what I said. No, no, Mary, uh, that's basically what exactly happened between 2000, uh, 2000 and 2008. And as a result... Well, should we you not pay out the money that you've agreed to pay out? Uh, no, or or is it? Or is it? We've, agreed, we've agreed to the implementation of the plan. Is, well, the HSE, saw, the HSE sought the money. They may very uh, well, but we're, we're so, saying... So but, but, but hold on a second. Has the HSE the authority... We have increased. We have increased the Has budget. the HSE the authority to increase pay levels? Has the I Department mean, of Health the authority to increase pay levels? All I'm saying to you, we, we provide a budget to the HSE... They must work within that budget as set out and agreed at the time the budget was passed. We have given, there's over 17 billion, mm. which is a substantial so, increase on last year and which overrun by 700 million. We do not want to have the same thing happening this year. This agreement is being implemented. It's from November on and we've made it quite clear that it will be implemented from November on. And for someone to come along and say we must continue to uh, to, to um that's the HSE. That's the HSE. They sought the money. That's that's the someone you're talking about. The HSE agreed that these people were entitled to their pay increase. They asked you for the money and the Department of Public Expenditure said no. The HSE have got a budget at the start of the year of over 17 billion euros. Yes, and they they have to operate under the Lansdowne Road Agreement. That required them to enter into this process. They agreed that these people were entitled to the pay increase. This was not finalised and this is why it went through the process of Labour Relations Commission and why the there is not there is a, a, a process available for issues like this to be resolved the government are saying we will be, start implementing from november so it's not a situation that we walk away from the agreement we need the time and we also need to stay within budget otherwise we will have a situation and remember we're now facing brexit as well where we have to be very conscious of not overspending and making sure we keep every government department within line. Okay, well, I'm sure you wouldn't disagree with that, Mike, Mary Butler, yeah. No, we, you know, we, we, we have to be very cognizant of, of, of Brexit coming down the line, but the reality of the situation today is these workers did not go on strike lightly. They, they entered into um, an evaluation to, assert, to ascertain if their job roles had changed and they would be paid accordingly in 2015. This is the reality of the situation. It was decided that they should be paid between 1,500 and 3,000 per person. These are the lowest paid workers in the state. And they'll see some pay increases in November. Michael, by the will, unfortunately, can I just say, Michael? No, sorry, sorry, I didn't interrupt you, Colm. The government are reneging on a promise they made to these workers last year. The HSC stated quite clearly last year 
they would pay these workers. And now they're kicking it down to touch. Now, the government have no problem going, um, not being f- fiscally responsible when it comes to broadband, an overrun of two billion. Not being fiscally responsible when the children's hospital, an overrun of one billion. Okay. This is 16 Mary, billion uh, for Mary, these workers. I just... And I believe they should be paid. Okay, and I, 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 I'm over time at the moment, just so I'm just going to give a final Michael, word to Senator Michael, Burke. Yeah, yeah, Michael, yeah, yeah, yeah. we are implementing this agreement. The question is the timing, and we have to stay within budget. And if Mary wants to go down and deal with bringing capital expenditure in, which is a totally different issue compared to current expenditure. This is about current expenditure. We need to keep it in line. We're doing that. Okay. And we need to be People are ringing and saying the TDs got their pay. The judges are going to get their pay increases. And so this is pay. Colm, you cannot pay, justify pay not pay has been Pay you has cannot. been restored to this group of workers but above the 2009 scale, whereas there's other people... It's now 2019, Colin. I have to leave it there. Where there's other people who have not had full pay restored in other grades in the HSE. This grade have their 4% above their 2009 income levels. Thank you both indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Thank you indeed. Uh, Senator Colin Burke is Fine Gael's uh, spokesperson on health in uh, the Shannon. And uh, Fianna Fáil TD, Mary Butler, is her party's uh, junior spokesperson on health. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, we'll stay, if you will, uh, with uh, the cost of uh, the National Broadband Plan. Let's talk uh, to Timmy Dooley, Fianna Fáil's uh, spokesperson on uh, communications, who's on the line. And uh, a very good morning to you. Uh, we were just talking about the hospital strike today and uh, Mary Butler asking why the government is spending so much on the National Children's Hospital and uh, €3 billion Euro on the National Broadband Plan and won't honour the £16 million it owes uh, to the two members uh, who were out on strike today. Uh, but uh, why is it spending €3 billion? Euro? That is a, a very pertinent question, given what AIR has been saying about this. Uh, they've been suggesting that they can complete the whole project for a billion euro. What do you make of that claim? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think a, a lot of people's jaws dropped uh, over the last two days when it became clear that AIR, um, a well-known provider of telephone and broadband services, felt they could have delivered broadband to the 542,000 homes, farms and business premises in the intervention area for a a little under a a billion when the government are about to sign a contract with a a completely new set-up company, Grenahan McCourt, for for close on three billion. Um, I I think that does require uh, a a fresh look from government. Um, The committee that I sit on and and others Mm. do will be, uh, you know, providing the information that we have obtained over the last number of days back to government. And um, what I suppose was striking for me was that the Taoiseach seemed to indicate in the Dáil yesterday that it didn't include service charges over the next 25 years, it didn't include the connection fee. When I put that to Caroline Lennon, she said, it includes all of those costs. That's the, the chief business. executive of AIR, Caroline Chief Lennon. executive of AIR. <laughs> what she said was that the, the, the tender process that was engaged by the government and their consultants was extremely onerous, would have required the establishment effectively of a new company, really prevented AIR from using their their existing infrastructure from a cost point of view, uh, so that n- no savings could be attributed to using their, 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 their current um, structure. Now, that's hard to believe when you consider that one of the guiding principles of the initial tendering process when KPMG and, and PwC advised the government they made it clear that, you know, you're going to get a good deal here because there are companies out there, the companies they didn't mention but were implied 
the ESB Vodafone and Air, they already have significant infrastructure. Mm. They will leverage that in any bid process. You'll get a good competition and you'll get value for money and you'll get your broadband. And right. what now, our landlord, the chief executive of Air said yesterday, that between that point and whoever they got to draw up the, the, the procurement tender process, it became so convoluted, so complex, because there was this notion of having to have a level playing pitch for all bidders, Air couldn't include the savings associated with their existing business. Now, that's fine to have competition for the sake of competition. But if, if, if levelling the playing pitch in the tender process is, is going to cost the, the hard-pressed taxpayer an additional $2 billion, then we really need to have another look at what our levelling of the playing pitch so, in terms of competition really just needs. Just to put that another way, is she saying that because of their existing business, they'd be able to do it cheaper? Yes. And, and, and that the way this process is looking on that is that it would be unfair to take that into account because nobody else has Air's existing business. Correct. Sure, that's Correct. madness, is it not? It is certifiably mad. Now, in order, if, if, you know, which she, and she said, that's why when you went down the gap-funded model, you got this. There was the capacity, and it's the first time I've heard it raised by, in public session like that, that the state could have put a universal service obligation on air under the regulated, under the, under the, the communications regulator, Comreg, and, and effectively uh, required them to, to put broadband into every home and business in the country for a cost, of which she is now saying that could have been done for a billion. But the, the really critical piece, because mm. we can get caught up in procurement rules and laws and technicalities, the important, really important thing for me on behalf of, of, of the taxpayer and the person waiting for broadband was this. It can be done more cheaply. Perhaps, she suggests, two billion less. And the same exact service will be delivered to those 542,000 locations as is currently being provided to the 300,000 that we all talk about. These 300,000 mm. that air have rolled a broadband service out to. Same speeds, same type of fibre, same service in terms of when the line goes down, same service level agreement, same response times, exactly the same. So the person on the other end will get exactly the same service and it will only cost the taxpayer a billion. And we have to get over the procurement piece of it and get that... It would, it would cost the taxpayer a billion or a billion in total? It would cost the taxpayer a billion in total. Right, OK. Uh, and how much would the overall project cost? She didn't get into that because she said mm. they'd have costs themselves. But because they would be getting a, a revenue return from those locations, uh, that, that would be put towards... Um, any cost they would have and make a contribution towards their profits as well. So you, you, you caught it early on, Michael, when you said by being able to dovetail it into their existing business, significant cost savings. And this happens in other parts of the world as well. And in order to ensure that there's a competitive environment, you have the regulator who, who has access to all heirs' costs uh, and regulates the prices they can charge. So it, it, it ensures competition. So, so the, the obvious thing now is for the government to take a fresh look at this and establish if they were to move to a point where they were to look at the universal service obligation on air or the ESB to do this, could it be done in the same time or quicker than what they're proposing to pay Glenahan McCourt $3 billion to do? And has the government an option now to pull out of this deal or is it a deal? Because they're the preferred final bidder, are they not? That's right. Well, now, 
I don't know the legal position there, and it'll be for the government and the Attorney General to establish that. But that's why I couldn't understand why the government rushed in advance of the local election to give preferred bidder status to Grenahan McCourt when they weren't in a position to sign a contract with them because they hadn't all the due diligence, hadn't all the final detail done. Now, what we don't know is in the signing of that or the conferring of that preferred bidder status, have they encumbered the state? Have they tied us in some kind of a legal way that now we'd have to pay to get out of? Now, if they have done that, then they have a real problem Mm. because they were advised, they were warned, that they shouldn't have done it. Hard to imagine it being otherwise, isn't it? Because if they were to pull out of this process uh, as such uh, and uh, redraw the process in a way that would favour what somebody else is proposing, because Air have said uh, that they wouldn't retender uh, as a, it's currently uh, right. uh, formulated. Yeah, they, that, yeah they, don't see it, they don't see any benefit in continuing with the current tender process where they'll have to set up a completely new operation um, a completely new operation in parallel with their own existing business. Mm. It makes no sense from their point of view or from the taxpayer's point of view. So it would have to be designed specifically for them? Well, it's for, for, existing, for existing operators and it would, be, it would be from their point of view, and we'll, we'll have to tease this more out at committee, the idea of a universal service obligation. If that's doable, we'd need to get our mm. own legal advice as a committee on that, and, and I'd hope that we will over the next number of days. Um, but are, are you suggesting that the state uh, would uh, tender this out in a way that would advantage, uh, 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 be adv- advantageous to air? I think because there is two operators in the state that own infrastructure, the ESB uh, and AIR, AIR already have a relationship with the state to provide copper wire to every home in the country under a universal service obligation. That's already in existence. The ESB have a universal service obligation to provide electricity mm. to every home in the state. Is there, is, there, is, there, is there a valid argument to say that a universal service obligation should be extended in a competitive way between those two entities um, in a regulated environment so that you ensure you got the best value for money to say, or you could do it either of them. You mandate one or other of them mm. to do it. And, it, it, and un- it. Under the guidance of the regulator, uh, where all costs are on the table, and we ensure that the taxpayer gets best value. But do you think money. that... Do you- think that argument would stand up and uh, I'm sure uh, a lot well, of people would like to think it would stand up but, are, but it's very hard not to think that you'd advantage air in this protest, uh, process uh, if you wrote it in line with what suited them. There are state aid rules that have to be uh, complied with from a European perspective in the same way as the plan which is with Granahan McCourt at the minute mm. has to go to Europe for approval and that, that has yet to be agreed. So, like, there's, 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 there's steps that, are, that still have to be taken in relation to the current model. Um, but I think when it's put in front of everybody now, out in the open, um, that the taxpayer, I think, will want to ensure that us, as their representatives, ensure that we get high-speed broadband to every home in the country as quickly as possible at the best price. And I'm not so sure that the current proposal of the government to use Granaham Accord to do that... Mm takes any of those boxes. We certainly have real serious questions now in relation to whether it represents the best price. I think it's clear from what AIR have said it doesn't. What we now have to establish is uh, if we were to change that, can we still reach the kind of timelines uh, that are envisaged for rolling out broadband, recognising that every deadline to date has been missed.
Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed for joining us today. Timmy Dooley, Fianna Falls spokesperson on communications. Michael Reed on LMFM. Ireland's neutrality is uh, being called into question, very much so it would seem, although very little attention has been given to this. Uh, tomorrow the Dáil will debate whether members of uh, the Defence Forces will participate in a German-led battle group, uh, which will also include personnel from Austria, the Czech Republic, Croatia and the Netherlands. This follows a vote last week, uh, which will see members of uh, the Defence Forces, uh, namely Irish Rangers, uh, make their way to participate in the United Nations uh, mission in Mali. Let's talk about this with uh, John Molyneux, the Secretary of uh, the Irish Anti-War Movement. Good morning to you, John, and thanks uh, for joining good us. Good morning, Michael. Uh, we've been told uh, we, can't, we, we, we can't participate in any offensive without the triple lock. The triple lock has happened, uh, and uh, I'm not sure... Uh, what coverage there's been given to this. Uh, this is yeah. a, a, a United Nations mission in Mali, uh, which is the first part of uh, the triple lock. It has to be authorised or mandated by the United Nations, approved by the government. It was approved by the Cabinet on uh, the 12th of June, I think it was, and then it went to a vote in the Dáil last week, which means we've invoked the triple lock. In, in, indeed, Michael. Michael, just in speaking to you, can I uh, apologise uh, for myself in this. I only found out I was coming on uh, literally about five minutes ago, and I'm not necessarily up to speed on all the details because I didn't have a chance to um, oh, sure. check things. Okay. But, uh, mm. So I'll be talking from, if you like, general principles, if you don't, um, okay. on, on this. Um, but I would just respond to what you, what you say by saying that I think this is another step in what has been a long-running process. Mm. Uh, and Actually, John, John, before John, John, sorry to, to cut across you. Just before you speak in generalisms, isn't that a bit remarkable? I mean, you're somebody who'd follow this uh, more than most, uh, but it says a lot about the coverage or the lack of coverage that has been, that has been yes. given to this. This true, but I'm, I'm, I'm well aware that, that this is happening. Mm. I just mm. would normally... I just oh, no, I don't mean it as a criticism of you, but maybe it's no, just no. A, a lack of interest yeah. that uh, we, uh, and particularly in the media, have had in relation to this. Well, I don't think that's... I was going to say, I don't think that that is entirely a matter of chance. I think this is a... Uh, as I say, one step further in a, a long-running process, I think that the um, Irish government uh, has wanted to erode Irish neutrality over a long period. But the Irish population, uh, the Irish public, believe in Irish neutrality. It's served us very well over a long period of time. Mm. Uh, and consequently, the strategy that has been adopted by the government has been to chip away step by step, to in fact, to abandon any policy of neutrality on the ground, um, to do it uh, uh, by stealth, as it, uh, uh, as it were. Mm. Uh, and I think, you know, the media lives on 
day-to-day sensation and so on, and has by and large neglected it. So I think your point is is well made. Okay, and well, the, I know the, that the, you the, take the, an interest in these questions. Sure, and the United the United Nations uh, regards uh, this operation that the Dáil agreed to as the third part of uh, the triple lock last week as a peace enforcement mission, not a peacekeeping mission. There's a, a big difference between enforcing peace and keeping peace, especially when you're enforcing peace in a, a place where a coup has taken place. Indeed, and enforcing uh, 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 peace actually means uh, fighting, probably, or very possibly fighting. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's send send troops anywhere as as peace enforcers or or, or or peacekeepers. There is always the risk of that, but obviously, but clearly, if you're a peace enforcer, the risk is is much stronger. And I I want to go. Um, I think that this has to be seen in the context of PESCO. Uh, uh, which is, although it's denied, I think is clearly, again, the same policy at the European level of moving towards an EU army, uh, uh, as are the battle groups, that were, uh, uh, and so on. I think that, again, there is a long-term strategic goal by the people who run the EU, the uh, um, largely undemocratically uh, uh, chosen, selected people who run the uh, EU to move towards uh, an ever stronger, bigger EU military presence in, in, in the world. Um, uh, and I think it's very dangerous in, in the long run. I think we're seeing uh, a ramping up of tensions between the great power blocks in the world, with Trump in America, with the Chinese, with, uh, uh, and with the EU. We're seeing... Um, a developing crisis uh, in, uh, particularly in Africa, mm. uh, North Africa as well. Uh, we're seeing climate change proceeding at a rate of knots, which will produce a huge wave of climate refugees who are not even recognised by the way mm. as a category. You know, there's no category for climate refugees, but they are increasing in numbers because increasing parts of the world are becoming un, uh, uh, uninhabitable, uh, virtually, uh, and that will go on. So I think that uh, we will see more military conflict, and I think that our government, the Irish government, is gearing Ireland up to be clearly involved and committed uh, in this and they should not be. And it would seem as though our support for this UN operation in this part of Africa is support for the French in Mali uh, and part of that EU solidarity uh, that uh, people are worried about Mm -hmm. when it comes to PESCO and uh, the establishment of a European army. Uh, And now we're talking about joining a battle group which will be led by the Germans and will be made up of countries from uh, across Europe, as I outlined earlier on. Uh, indeed, Michael. And don't we have to ask, what on earth are the French and the Germans doing with troops in Africa? And why are we joining them? Ireland was born as a country out of a struggle against empire. And here we have a new form of imperialism. It's covered up always. I mean, people never, countries never say we want to conquer other countries for their resources. There's always a, some kind of 
you know, we're keeping the peace, we're separating warring tribes, we're doing this, we're doing uh, the other. This is a sort of humanitarian intervention. We had a humanitarian mm. intervention to remove a dictator in Iraq. We have a, mm. you know, it's always a cover for it. Mm. But I think you have to be very, very naive. Well, Mali was only uh, established in 1960. Uh, Thomas Pringle, Independent TD, was uh, talking a- yeah. about the history yeah. of Mali and the French involvement in the Daw last week. And mm. he-, he was saying that the French and others uh, ripped away many of the continent's mineral resources, of raped course. the wealth of Africa, if you like, uh, and that Mali is the tenth poorest country in the world as yes. we speak, but one of the biggest exporters of gold. Yes, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it appalling? And uh, I mean, what the, Thomas Pringle said uh, of Mali and what of, of the French was true of all the European powers in relation to, to Africa, and it was true of uh, empire as a whole. I mean, look at what happened in India, uh, which was a rich country in the 17th century before the British took it over and reduced it to a situation of extreme and abject poverty from which it has still not fully recovered. And I mean, um, I think that the mission in Mali, uh, uh, again, we have, we, we have to, it's quite a dangerous mm. mission, right? That's quite likely for the, in terms of the Irish troops that they, they will suffer casualties. But the first, and I just want to say, by the way, that while all this goes on, our armed services are treated appallingly. I'm talking about the ordinary soldiers here. They're treated appallingly. They themselves live on poverty wages. So we have the age-old thing of having impoverished working-class people sent out to uh, on the missions to even poorer people, and uh, by people who. You know, like Bob Dylan said, uh, you know, sit behind desks and hide behind walls and, uh, you know, who who wouldn't get out of bed for any of the wages involved. Um, So it's a horrible situation. Forward, he cried from the rear and the front flank died, as Roger Waters once said. (laughs) Yes. So it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a horrible it's a horrible situation. Mm. I just I just want to stress, though, and I, you know, I would commend yourself because I know you watch this and that. But any notion of Irish neutrality, which was hard won, and is, I think, as I say, has served the uh, Irish people very, very well, and saved a lot of Irish lives, Mm. in fact, is being steadily eroded. There is no question that our government aligns itself primarily with the EU and well, uh, and, and the United I, States. I have to go, John, because the time has run out, yeah. but uh, just a, as a final oh. point, we were protected by the triple lock. The triple yeah, lock and it's now. Yeah. Ha- has been unlocked. We leave it there. John Molyneux, Secretary of the Irish Anti-War Movement, thank you indeed. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.